right, guys, if you got Bibles, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to kick off this evening. I, I don't know if you guys think about this kind of stuff or not, um, but I, I expect that when I get to heaven, the Bible is going to be true, and uh, my faith in Christ is going to be rewarded, and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But I do wonder sometimes what is going to be said after that. Like, we know what the first words are. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and, and, and see and enjoy the work of your master. But I do wonder, in the continuing process of God revealing himself, if there aren't going to be a couple of conversations that God wants to have with me, a couple of, uh, hey man, you really missed the boat on that one. I love you so much, but uh, swing and a miss on that. And I do wonder sometimes about my parenting. Uh, the reason I say that is Bruner, as he was talking, he was like, I tend to play it safe. And the moment he said that, I was like, three hours ago, I just gave my 13-year-old a chainsaw. And I'm wondering, he, it was a small one, it was an electric one. I told him he couldn't use it without somebody else nearby, because if he cut himself, he'd bleed out before anybody could get to him. So I feel like covered my bases there. But safety is, it, uh, we grew up saying safety third, fun memories, safety, and in that order. Like that, I cannot tell you how many times I say, as a youth pastor, hey guys, remember safety third. And that was, it makes for a memorable life. When it flashes before your eyes, there are a lot of flashes uh, if you live that way. One of my favorite things to do is to scare the bejeebers out of my children. It brings me absolute delight and joy to watch them be overcome with terror. Now, you could say, well, that's just because you love your kids. Or you could say, I'm a horrible parent. I'm open for both of them. But a couple of weeks ago, they had been begging to watch a scary movie. And I was like, you don't want to watch a scary movie? I remember watching scary movies between the age of 8 and 12. It never ended well. You're excited. You get 10 minutes in. You're still excited. Then you start doubting it. Then you have three to six months of nightmares. You have to talk with your youth pastor because of all of these fears that you're worried about. Like, you do not want this. And they were like, we want it, Dad. We want to watch something scary. So then they, I got to find, like, what's scary but appropriate. And so we go through this whole thing. And I show them a scary movie. We're all piled into our bed. Lights are off and they're jumping and they're hiding under covers. And some of them won't watch at certain scenes. I want you to remember that moment because as that movie ended, my thought was not, they have now learned. They have learned their lesson. My thought was, how can I get them even better than this movie has gotten them? And as I think about that, I look at Proverbs 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 7, but I'm going to start in verse 7, then I'm going to read it through one more time, because there's this really incredible juxtaposition, this odd balancing of what we see in verse 7. And here's what it says. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's take it from the top, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
fools despise wisdom and instruction. We work through books of the Bible. If this is your first time, this is kind of what we do. Spoiler alert, next week is going to start with Proverbs 1 verse 8. But what you have to do to get all the meat off of the bone of this text is remember something that we discussed when we were doing an overview of the book of Proverbs. And that is this. In this text and across the entire book of Proverbs, there are three different people that are listening to everything that God's word is saying. I'm not going to judge. Uh, I'm not going to like quiz you guys on this, but maybe you can do a little thing. How many of these did I remember? What we know is the Bible talks to the wise, the fool, and the simple. I'm not going to reteach that. I hated it when pastors would reteach what they already did. It drove me absolutely crazy. If it wasn't good enough the first time, it didn't good enough the second time. Move on with something else. You know what wise is. You you know what a fool is, but let me just re-hit the simple, because all of us need to remember this as we read. The simple is somebody who is naive or untaught. This does not necessarily mean immature in a bad way. If you wanted to ask me advice on being a parent, I could give you some. If you wanted to ask me advice on being a youth pastor, I can give you 18 years worth. If you want to say, Will, I'm about to become a granddad, what can you tell me? I'm simple. I'm naive, I am untrained, I am immature in that, and that is not necessarily a sin issue. Every face that I am looking at has some area in your life where you are simple as the Bible would use it. Now, you could be simple out of naivety, it's just not an age or stage in life that you've hit yet. You could be simple because you're just sort of being lazy with the Lord and your time in the Word. What I'm primarily pointing to is this simplicity where you are untrained, untested, immature, simply because it is not a chapter that God has led you in yet. Now, when you see those three things, you'll be able to do this better in your Bibles than you will on the screen behind me. Look at those seven verses again. If you look at verse four, we see the simple pop right up to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth verse 5 the wise person comes in let the wise hear and good news for him she he gets to increase in learning and understand and obtain guidance and then all the way at the very end we see the fool despising wisdom and despising instruction remember those three types of people as we continue to work through, that, through this, because each of them are approaching God's word differently. They're approaching what is going on in their lives, the difficulties, the joys, and everything else. They are looking at it in a completely different way. All right, I feel like I can be responsive with you guys on this next one. How many of y'all have seen Encanto? Do you know what I'm talking about? The new Disney movie? Okay. Out of curiosity, is your favorite song, We Don't Talk About Bruno? Okay, it's not my favorite. I like the one where the flower girl makes a cactus and then that's when she starts singing. If you haven't seen the movie, it's one of my favorite Disney movies as of late. Better the second time than the first time. I've got kids, it's like playing on repeat in my house. I actually put it on Spotify by myself. I'm not ashamed to say that. I was listening to it. But in this movie, there is a house and this house is charmed, it's special. It has these unusual supernatural properties. The house is a living entity in and of itself. And all of the people who live in the house have a door that goes into their room that represents who they are, their character, their personality, their likes, their dislikes, their giftedness. And on that door, in a glowing fashion, you get this small picture of who that person is. 
in this text, what's happening is the simple is walking up to the door of wisdom. And it's seeing that there's something beyond this door. The wise person is walking up and saying, I've been here before, and is joyfully throwing open the door and walking in. The fool walks up to the door, sees it, and says, not worth it, not interested, and they turn and they walk away. But what's amazing about the doors in this house is this. Every time you open it, it goes not into a room, but into a world that is far larger than the house could actually hold. That is what God's word is offering to us in the beginning of the book of Proverbs. The simple person comes and they see on the outline that there is something amazing beyond this door. Am I gonna be brave enough? Am I gonna be courageous enough in my naivety, in my simplicity to turn the door and to go in? The wise who has been there before flies right through and the fool turns around. And what is phenomenal about this is the way that God had Solomon write this text. Now, can I just tell you, if I'm writing a sermon or if I'm writing a paper, I put the beginning at the beginning. I put the middle in the middle. I put the end at the end. We've all done this, right? Introduction, body, 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 conclusion. We've all done this. God didn't. Why not? Now, what do I mean by that? Look back at verse 7. God waits all the way to verse 7 to say this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Well, God, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning, why not make that verse one? It would stand out so much more. You turn to the book of Proverbs, and the first thing that you see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Now, okay, well, that makes sense. And then you can say, by the way, Solomon wrote these things, and here's what you get. Why not? Because just like these doors describe something that is so great beyond them, that's what God's word is doing. Like, like, uh, when, when grandma is cooking Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon lunch, for me it was always fried okra. That was my favorite thing. And you can hear it and you can smell it, right? We're outside playing football and then you come in and you smell whatever it is. For, I mean, everything tastes the same when you fry it, but okra just happens to be one of my favorites. And, and, and you walk in and you smell it and you get excited. Your mouth begins to water. You want to go and pick them up off the paper towel while they're still too hot and you know that they're going to burn your mouth because you're excited about it. That is what God's word is doing. Why does he wait to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? It's because he wants you to see the door and long to know what's on the other side. He wants the, the mouth of your soul to water for his goodness, which is why in verses three, four, and five, he begins describing what's on the other side of the door. Verse three, uh, actually, I've got a slide for this. Let's just throw it up. This is what wisdom is offering to you. Offering to you today, the first thing that we see in verse three is insight. Now, a lot of these words you're going to know. Oh, there we go. The, the first one is insight. A lot of these you're going to know, but when the Bible says insight, what it is saying to you is, hey, do you want to clearly understand people and situations? Now, can I just tell you, everybody answers yes to that. 
when you can walk into a situation and know where people are and how to deal with them, when you can walk into a situation and not be naive, God is saying, I'm willing to give you this. In verse three, we see wise dealing, which has to do with how we conduct ourselves. And then he breaks it down into three pieces. What kind of conduct? Well, that you would be a person of righteousness and of justice and of equity. In other words, you would stand out in the culture that you live in. One of the big things that we miss in America is that God, in writing in his word about sin, is talking about you, but he's not just talking about you. You see, if a Hebrew were to read God's word, they would have been convicted of their sin and the sin of their community. And they would have felt responsible for both. They would have felt responsible for what they said, didn't say, saw, didn't see, did or didn't do. But at the same time, they would look at their little community or they would go a little bit wider to their county and they would say, are we a people who are fearing the Lord? Can I just tell you, that's not the way that the individualistic American looks. And so what God's word is offering us is this incredible thing to say, hey, don't you want to know when to stand against culture and when to show grace? Don't you wanna know when it's appropriate to, paste, to post on Facebook and when it's inappropriate? You know when somebody does it wrong and you always assume that you're the one who's doing it right, but do you actually want to know how to engage the culture that you are in? Wisdom is saying just walk through the door. In verse four, we see prudence which is self-discipline, but it's not like, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm not gonna drink too much caffeine. It's the kind of self-discipline that avoids unnecessary danger and risk. It, it, the prudent kid is not the one who hops on the bike and says, ah, the brakes haven't been working that great, but I'm sure it'll be all right, and then they go careening down a hill. That kid is missing prudence. Well, on the same hand, it can be somebody who may be a little bit older, sees a relationship and they've been longing for it and they know maybe this isn't the right one, but I'm gonna go ahead and step into it and hope that everything will buff out. That is not prudence. And God is saying, do you want it? Just walk through the door. You know what knowledge is in verse four. Discretion, the ability to make right decisions. Learning in verse five. And then finally in verse five, the last one, guidance. And not just which way do I go, but having the confidence that the person who is telling you the right way to go God and his word actually knows the end from the beginning. You're not just asking some dude who's been walking around on the planet for 30 years or 50 years or 80 years. You're talking to the one who designed the planet, the one who designed the people in it. He holds the map. He has the compass. And God is offering all of this to us. And when it's laid out that way, the expectation is that a person is saying, I want that. I don't just want that. I want all of that. God, are you really offering this to me? It, it, it seems like a cheat code to life. It seems like it would actually deal with 99% of the difficulties and the problems that I have and walk through in life. Is this really your offer? And God is saying, yes, just walk through the door. And so the person is like, yes. How do I turn the knob and throw the latch and kick the thing open? And then God says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. If you want these things in your life, and I would be willing to bet that anybody who has any dirt under their fingernails of life, you have any years behind you, you look at these things and you say, not only do I want it, I need it. In fact, I would be willing to bet there are situations in your life right now that you're looking at one or two words and you're like, man, if it is being offered to me with a bow on it, I am going to take it. And God is saying, absolutely, it's being offered to you. It's right on the other side of this door. 
and it opens to a world that is so much more beautiful than you could ever imagine. But if you want to turn the knob, if you want to throw the latch, it begins with the fear of the Lord, which is a very interesting thing. Because a lot of times in the Bible, Jesus is saying, you shouldn't be fearful. Don't walk in fear. What's unique about this verse is that this usage of the word fear in Proverbs 1-7 is exclusive. It is a special kind of fear. It is a fear that is reserved for God and for God alone. It's exclusive, it's special, and it's different. I told you that I wanted to scare my kids after we watched that movie. So here's how I did it. As they were transitioning from my bedroom to their bedroom, they had to brush their teeth and do the whole nine yards. I knew this. I had a little bit of time. So there's a speaker, a little Bluetooth speaker that sits in their room. They just watch a scary movie together. Tigner did not want to go to her own room. That was not going to happen. So everybody's huddled up in one room. And they're not even huddled in the bunk beds. They're like on the floor, right? Like somebody, who's on the perimeter? You're the oldest. You've got to get on the perimeter. I'm on the inside. If something bad comes, I'm not the one getting my toes ripped off or whatever it was going to be. So they get into this little bitty huddle. But before they did, I made sure that I had my phone linked to the Bluetooth speaker in their room. I don't know uh, how many of you guys have kids and I don't know how many of you who have kids have multiple kids, but they don't go to bed, right? Like we talk about it. They don't do that. They go to a room with a bed and then depending on your children, your level of discipline and you know, whether you've been having your quiet time that day, it's a very different routine for them to actually be in bed and asleep and I knew this is gonna be a long bedtime, all right? This is gonna be, a, I gotta get a cup of water, I gotta go to the bathroom, I gotta get up, I gotta move, I gotta do all this, but I was surprised. Nobody moved. Nobody came out. And I realized they don't wanna walk down the hallway. Hallways are the scariest thing in almost every movie. It's long, it's thin. If there's something that's gonna get you, you can't escape it, right? Wall, wall, and all the crazy and scary. They're like absolutely silent. It was the best night. I was like, we should do this more often. But I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't gonna give up on my great plan. I'd taken a piece of the movie and I'd pulled it up on my wife's phone. My phone was broadcasting to their speaker, but they didn't know it. And I told Karen Ann, you cannot make a sound. She was not very happy about this. And I went to the scariest part of the movie where there's this thing like groaning like, and I played it. And it went from my phone, like under the cover so they couldn't hear it coming from my room. And all of a sudden they just hear in their room this frightening moaning. And I hear, ah, ah, ah. that would have been enough, but it was not enough. So I get up and I go hide behind my door because what does a kid do when they're scared? They run in, but here's the problem. I have smart kids because this is what I've been doing since they were like way too young. Nobody comes. I'm looking at Karen Ann and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, just go in there and hug them. They are crying. Do you not hear this? They're like tears coming out of the room. And I'm like, you be quiet. Don't you ruin this for me? These kids ruin everything for me. When are the doors open? Some are the doors open. When it's beautiful outside, they close it. They keep all the windows closed. They deserve every bit of this. And so I'm standing behind that door for three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. And finally, I just give up. And I walk in the room. And, I, and, and, and like two of them are like, <laughs> and then the older two are like, mm-hmm, we've been here before, dad, right? Like, you're going to have to step up your game. And I was like, why didn't you come into the room? They said, we knew. We knew the moment we walked out of that door, it was not gonna get better for us. 
It was going to get significant. And we didn't know if you were in the hallway. We didn't know if you were behind the door. But wherever you were, it was going to go really, really bad for us. The most frequent command in the Bible. The most frequent command in the Bible. Anybody want to make a guess? Do not be. Has it been up there the whole time? You're fired. Bruner. Most frequent command in the entire Bible. And God looks at us through his word in Proverbs and says, you want to know what the beginning of knowledge is? A right fear of God. Let me make a book recommendation for you real quick. This is a book by Michael Reeves called Rejoice and Tremble. I think, uh, Thomas, did you recommend this for me? I read all of what I could get for free online before I bought it, and it was really good. Um, It was about 18 pages. And he does a phenomenal job of breaking fear into three different categories. There are three types of fear. We have natural fear, sinful fear, and godly fear. I'm going to describe these things for you. But natural fear, sinful fear, and godly fear. Go ahead and if you're a note taker, you want to jot those things down. If you're not, I just want you to hold these categories in your mind. And as you hold them, I want you to realize there's a reason we need to think about this. And the reason that we need to think about this is because it is very confusing when the Bible says, do not be afraid. And then it simultaneously says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It should drive us to an enigma and a question mark that as a faithful, believing, God-fearing, and word-loving Christian, we are going to pull at this thread until we get to the end of it. And that's what we are going to do in the next couple of minutes tonight. From Moses to Mary, do not be afraid. From the burning bush to the announcement of the angels, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. From Samuel, who is the pre-king leader of God's people, all the way to Simon, do not be afraid. This is how Jesus said it to Simon after that incredible catch of fish that Nick just shared with us. And Jesus said to Simon, this is Luke 5, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What you miss when you only look at that is that Simon Peter left the fish early so that he could get close to Jesus and bow down and worship him. And in worshiping him, Jesus picks him up and he says, do not be afraid. What's happening there? Is he afraid because fish are scary? No, he's a fisherman. He's been a fisherman his entire life. Is he afraid because catching a lot of fish is a bad thing? Obviously, it's the opposite. What is happening here? He is seeing Jesus clearly. And the moment we see Jesus clearly, something else happens. We see ourselves really, really well as well. And when that happens, there are two responses that every human makes. We fall down and we worship the creator who is all good and all holy, which is what we've already been singing about tonight. Or we run in terror down the corridor of the hallway because it is too great and his holiness is too much. And here, Peter nails it and he falls down and Jesus says, do not be afraid. But then in other scriptures, we are captured by this other perspective of fear. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. You can take one of the most righteous people that ever walked on the planet. I'm gonna go with Job here. And in Job 1.8, God is talking to Satan about how incredible Job is. Can I just say, no matter how good you think you are in your Christian walk, you just need to read a little bit of Job and realize you're probably not that big of a deal. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man 
who fears God and turns away from evil. And then, of course, our text, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There are three types of fear, natural fear, sinful fear, and godly fear. Natural fear is something every one of us has, and it's nothing that we need to apologize for. It's the kid who doesn't want to go and get the flu shot. That is a natural fear of discomfort, pain, uh, being fearful about a prognosis at the doctor, uh, cancer, a car accident. These are all natural fears. Pain and death are absolutely natural fears. What I'm saying by that is that we as Christians don't need to pretend that we are impervious to this kind of fear. And let me give you freedom in that. Jesus experiences this kind of fear. Jesus in Gethsemane is is crying out to the Lord, is there any other way? Now we know from Hebrews, the Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so what Jesus is wrestling with, bleeding as he cries out to the Lord, is pain and death, and in his case, separation from God, is a legitimate fear. That's a legitimate thing. But then we have these two other fears that we internally need to have in their right place in our hearts and minds so that we can live for the Lord with an undivided mind and a full heart. And that is sinful fear and godly fear. Let's take sinful fear first. James 2.9 puts it this way. He's writing to believers and he says, you believe that God is one. You understand the Trinity. You understand who he is and what he's done. You do well. A little bit of bad news though for you. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, what is happening in this text is a sinful fear. And what I mean by that is this is a fear that is produced by sin. Why on earth are the demons shuddering? They are shuddering because they know the consequences of their rebellion to God. That's one reason sinful fear exists in us. We recognize that there is a consequence to our sins. A lot of times God uses that as discipline for us. Good parents use this as discipline for their children, and that's why God does this as well. Let them know what the consequence is before they, before they do the action so that it will save them the pain and the discomfort and the separation and the shame. Good, good dads do that, and God did. But consequences are not the only reason that we run from God when we sin. The other one we see in Genesis 3, 9, and 10 But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he, being Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I love the word because in this text. And I'll tell you exactly why. I can relate to being fearful of the consequences of my sin. I know that when I sin as a father, when I sin as a husband, when I sin as a man, when I sin as a pastor, there are consequences that await me and none of them are fun and none of them are good. I am so grateful that in Christ, one of those consequences is not condemnation. That he has set me free from the condemnation of my sin even as he will discipline me and train me not to go back to my sin as a dog goes back to its vomit by there being some consequence. But that is not what's happening here. If you take out the word because, what you would assume is that Adam and Eve are fleeing from God because of the coming consequence. What did God tell them? Hey, do not eat from that fruit for if you do, on the day that you eat from it, you shall die. They're not scared of dying. That's not what we see here. He tells God, I was afraid 
because. Let me tell you why I'm afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I'm afraid because I am exposed. Can I tell you that being exposed for most of us is significantly more terrifying than any consequence that your sin will bring about? If I were to ask you, natural fear, sinful fear one or sinful fear two, almost all of us say, give me anything but sinful fear two. I would much rather walk down a scary corridor with monster-like creatures. I would much rather that than all of a sudden the entire world know the exposure of what I think, what I feel, what I say in my mind, what I allow my heart to dwell on. Do not expose me. We know this because when we sin, our first response is to flee. Either fleeing the consequence or fleeing the exposure, which is why we shouldn't be surprised that fools despise wisdom. Because the door is offered to everyone, but it is not an easy knob to turn. It is not an easy door to push. About three or four weeks ago, uh, our family had COVID. It kind of ran through the whole family. And it came tandem with us getting a new puppy, right? And so if y'all have ever had a new puppy, you know, like, your life is over for a few months, and all you do is step in stuff and, like, try to be godly about it. That's just how it is. Karen Ann had COVID. I had COVID. None of us felt like dealing with it, but I'm kind of the night guy, and she's sort of the morning gal. And so when stuff happens at night, daddy deals with it. If it happens in the morning, mommy deals with it. And so at night, the little puppy has to go out. And so I, I pick up this... At that time, I was not happy with this little bundle of fur. And I picked this little guy up. And I was like, don't you pee on me. And I, I walked down the stairs and I walk outside and I put him in the grass. And I immediately realized I've made a horrible decision. I am not feeling great. And if I came down the stairs, I have to go back up those stairs. And I'm sitting next to the front door, just like, hurry up and pee, hurry up and pee, hurry up and pee, get inside, get inside, get inside, because I'm getting lightheaded. And I'm like, this is not a good thing. So then the puppy starts running toward the door, and I'm like, oh, finally, my salvation. I can go back up and get in bed. And he gets right to the door, and he's like, ah, nope. And he runs right back outside. And I don't have the energy. I can't even yell at him. I'm just like trying to keep my composure. I'm praying. I'm like, God, please just bring this dog inside. I don't have anything left in the tank. And the dog finally comes in and I close the door and I scoop him up. I walk up the stairs. I put him on the ground and I walk past my wife in the bed and I say, baby, I'm not doing good. I'm not feeling well. I'm going to the bathroom. So I go and I sit in the bathroom and I feel lightheaded. And the next thing she hears is a pass out on the floor. Pass out on the floor and go into convulsions. I don't remember this. She remembers this. So she hears this loud smack. I went into the tile area because that's what you do when you feel lightheaded. And, and she comes in there and I'm on the ground, fisted up, just like, I don't even know. I wasn't there, right? She didn't video it. So she, she was like, are you dying? Are you having a heart attack? And I don't know. My eyes are rolled back like a great white. I don't know what's that. And so all of a sudden, she is dealing with this massive fear. What if the coolest guy I've ever met, this is the last time. What if this guy who leads our family so well and I just cherish, what if that's all? And then I come to, now I don't remember this, we have two different versions of the story. I remember coming to and saying, are you okay? Because that's who I am, right? I'm on the floor, but I'm worried about her. She remembers me coming to very angry with bald fists and saying, what just happened? Like out of anger. I don't remember any of that. I think that was before my consciousness and the Holy Spirit kind of kicked back in. What I remember saying is, are you okay? Hate it, real anger, real fear. 
I would be willing to bet that every one of us would trade the scariest moments of our life from what it would be for us to truly know what it is to be exposed before God. The darkness of our sinful world may shroud all kinds of evil, but the removal of that darkness, the removal of those things that fear us would simultaneously expose us. And I think that would be even more terrifying to most. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called The Great Divorce. It's one of my favorites that he wrote. And it doesn't have anything to do with divorce, but it has to do with what happens, with peop- what happens to people who have been living opposed from God their whole life when all of a sudden they get a glimpse of who he is. They're able to go through that door and see the incredible world that lives on the other side. And here's what Lewis writes. There are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Both of those are terrifying realities. You looking to God and saying, your will be done is absolutely terrifying, which is why the command of do not be afraid comes up all the way through scripture. But what I would argue is even more terrifying, though our sin doesn't buy into it, would be for you to be left to your own devices and to trust in yourself rather than trusting in God. So how do we take this fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge that kicks us through the door so that all of wisdom is offered to us so that we can be in a tight relationship with the Lord so that we can have our lives aligned? What do we need? We need godly fear. And how do we find it? The same way you find anything else in this world, in scripture, in your own soul, we go to Christ. Now people who would have read this would have been familiar with the book of Isaiah. I want to show you this one passage out of Isaiah 10. It's going to appear behind me. I want you to feel the fear that people would have felt when they read this. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty are going to be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Now you may say, Will, some of those words are scary, but he's talking about a lot of shrubberies too. I don't get what the deal is. Well, all throughout the beginning of Isaiah, especially in chapters 9 and 10, every man is a tree and every nation is a forest. And God is looking out out at all of humanity and he sees your sin and he sees my sin and he sees the sin of our family and he sees the sin of our state and he sees the sin of our nation and he sees the sin of our world. And in his justice, in his righteousness, his best move is to clear cut all of humanity and that's exactly what he does. He goes from the smallest bush to the person who is proud in their accomplishments and in who they are, all the way to Lebanon, which was known for having the greatest trees of all. And at the end of this little prophecy, at the end of this little saying, all of humanity has been cut down. All that we see is this barren wasteland of knocked over trees that are decomposing and and they're smoking and they're catching on fire due to the decomposition. And that is all we see, a barren wasteland. When people think of the fear of the Lord in that day, that's an image that's coming to mind. But this is the beauty of the fear of the Lord. That is who God is. He is a holy God. We worship a holy God, but that is not all that he is. We turn the page to Isaiah 11, and all of a sudden we read this. There shall come forth a shoot, this little green shoot, 
from the stump of Jesse. One tree on all of the barren wasteland of humanity. There's this one stump. And as everyone is expecting all of life to be extinguished, they see this one little stump which was prophesied before. And now there's this little bitty green sprout. And then behold, it doesn't stay a sprout. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So now this sprout grows and all of a sudden a branch kicks off. And then a little piece of fruit falls from it. And we read this. You tell me this doesn't sound like Proverbs to you. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is talking about Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You want to know what it is to fear the Lord? It is Christ. But this is my favorite part still. Throw up verse three. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. We have all sorts of natural fears and we have sinful fears that cause us to want to run away. But there is this kind of fear that actually brings delight. So that Jesus who is absolutely sinless, he has nothing to fear, somehow delights in this kind of fear of the Lord. And it isn't an obligatory fear like, fine, I'll go live with these people, I'll hang out with the disciples, they're not gonna get it, the priests are gonna try to kill me, I'm gonna smell like fish all the time, but you know what, Lord, if I gotta do it, I gotta do it, and I'll put in my time. It's not that. There is this delight that is springing up from Christ in rightly fearing God. Psalm 25 helps us understand. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. I deserve to be a tree that is cut down. I'm not arguing with that. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. This is that list of words that I gave you. A life of abundance and understanding. Being in the right place at the right time with the right knowledge and the right understanding. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. What's amazing about the correct fear of the Lord is it doesn't make you run from God. It actually makes you run to him. And whenever I was growing up as a kid, people explained this great theological weighty reality. I don't want to say in a flippant way, but they would just say, fear means respect. Now move on with yourself. Fear means just be humble about God. I think it's more than that. I think there's something deeper than this. I think what's actually happening is for the believer. Now listen to me because I don't assume everybody in this room is a Christian. For the Christian, the fear of God is not a fear of who he is, but a fear of who you would be without him. That is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a right recognition of who you are and who he is and a fear of who you would be apart from him. And if that's the fear of the Lord, it makes sense for us to run to him. Let me prove this to you. I, I read Psalm eighty-six, eleven to you. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. What's being said here? Give me an undivided mind to know who I would be without you. Do you, have an undiv- do you have an undivided mind? I don't. I want to sin and I don't want to sin. I want to do the right thing and I don't want to do the right thing. I want to be selfish and I don't want to be selfish. And this massive civil war lives within me. How do I win that civil war? By realizing who I would be without Christ. It is normal for the Christian to wrestle with this. Well, what about Job? 
The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who knows who he would be without me. Why does Job not curse God and die? Why does he not walk away from the Lord? Because he knows who he would have been without God. That's why he tells his friends, what, am I only going to take good from God and not difficulty? I know who I would be apart from him. Not only that, how many times do you just feel like quitting? I don't mean quitting your job, but maybe it's quitting your job. It might, yeah, I, feel, I feel like quitting homeschooling or I feel like quitting being a mom or quitting being a dad or it's too hard to be a Christian or I, I don't want to serve in kids ministry, whatever it is. What is it that holds you firm? I would argue that a right fear of God does. Knowing who you would be without him is the very thing that caused Job to continue running toward the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a heart-changing, mind-transforming realization that to be apart from God would be the most terrifying thing of all. Which is why you see this. Look look very quickly in verse 4 and in verse 5 of Proverbs 1. This is the best news of all. That might be me. I don't know if it is. This is the best news of all. Do you see the simple standing on the outside of the door? What God is saying is, I want to give. I want to give the fear of the Lord. I want you to realize who you would be without me so that you will run toward me and not from me. The wise see this and they already know it. They know that every time they put their faith and their trust in God, it is worth it as they walk through. But guys, if I can encourage you with this, wisdom is not assumed. It's available, but it is not assumed. You are not going to age into wisdom. If you feel like we all felt this way about evangelism when you grew up in the church. You're like, I can't talk to my friends. I'm nine years old, but when I'm 23, it'll be a whole lot easier. And then you turn 23 and you're like, what? Like, this is hard. What just happened? I was supposed to not care what people think. That must be for 30-year-olds. And then you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, I still really care what people think. Why? Because wisdom doesn't happen naturally. It isn't in our nature to be wise. It's in our nature to be fools and to be simple. And so God offers this gift to us in Christ. And I'll close this with this passage out of James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Let me give you two things I think you need to do as you leave this place. The first thing is actually seek wisdom. Please do not assume that it's naturally going to happen. Showing up at church but not leaning in is not going to grow you in wisdom. Reading your Bible but not digging in is not going to grow you in wisdom. We can do all kinds of acts and works that are not going to change our heart. We need to plead with God that we as the tree that deserves to be cut down would be lifted up by him because we realize what we would be without him. And that fear would kick open the door. That reverence, that pursuit of God would kick open the door and we would run hard after him. We can seek wisdom because God tells you to ask for it. In my life, here's how I've typically seen it. When I ask God for wisdom, sure, sometimes I turn on the radio or I hit Spotify and I get the song that I need in that very moment and praise God for those things. But more times than not, it has been the body of Christ that has been that wisdom to me. It's me saying, God, I don't know what to do in in this situation of life and then I'm in a small group when I'm in college. And there's somebody there who's willing to meet me where I am and say, hey, this is the next step for you. It's, it's 
being somebody who's married and about to have their first kid and trying to figure out how to parent and looking at youth parents who had done it well and them saying, yes, come, we will share with you the wisdom that God has given to us. People are pumped to do this. I, Karen Ann and I went on the mission field when she was pregnant with Ellis. And I'll never forget this. I don't even know this guy's name. But we were just trying to figure out how can we do life and not screw it up? What are we supposed to do with money and making decisions? And this guy was a financial planner. People came from all over the U.S. I don't remember his name. I don't remember his state. Couldn't find him if I wanted to on Facebook. And he sat down with two hours and wrote through a notebook. These are wise decisions for you to make. I still have the piece of paper. Don't know who he is. Probably won't meet him until eternity. But it has changed our life because we sought wisdom and God fulfilled it through the body of Christ. Secondly, God is not stingy. He gives generously to all without reproach. We are terrified when we wanted to go through adoption. It's this exciting, terrifying, how are we gonna do it? Is our marriage going to make it? Can we afford it kind of a thing? And then all of a sudden we realized that all of these questions that we were having, there were people who had gone before us. And what was weirder still is they wanted to talk to us. They wanted to share with us their experience. They wanted to tell us the glories and the difficulties because the body of Christ is built to hold us together, to hold us up, and to take us one more step. Why? Because when we learn something, when God shows us something, we want to share it. We want to share it because we realize who we would be without Christ. And if that one little thing can help someone or change someone's life for them to realize who Christ is and who they would be without him, we'll drop everything to share it. Just want to encourage us, be a people who seek wisdom through fearing the Lord by realizing who you would be without him. For some of us, that may mean as we jump into worship, you just need to praise God for the work that he has done in your life. For others, it may be that you need God to do a work in your life. And I would encourage you to get prayer. Jimmy and Anne Marie will be in the back. I will be in the back. But let's be a people who seek the wisdom of God that is offered to us through rightly fearing him. Stand with me, if you would. Let me pray, and then let's sing to our incredible God. Father, We are not wise, we are simple, we are foolish. In and of ourselves, we would run from you every single time because of our consequences and our exposure. But somehow, in your divine will, you have seen fit not to turn your back on us, to present to us a door that can be opened because of the blood of Christ, the one who went before us, the the shoot that came up from the barrenness of humanity to live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. So Father, here is my prayer. May the fool turn back around to the door. May those of us who realize that we are walking in sin and foolishness, may this be a moment where your spirit captures our heart and arrests our attention and points us to the one who is willing to die for us so that we could see what a right relationship with you would look like. For the simple, I pray that they would be brave, that they would walk through the door of the unknown, trusting in you, fearing you rightly. And for the wise, may we just glory in the incredible God that we have who loves us, that moves us from chapter to chapter, never failing and always sustaining. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.